Good morning and welcome to your favorite Friday morning podcast, Conversations with Buddy. Brought to you by The Wreck, way more than a bowling alley. We give you the ability to connect each week with our guests because we believe people matter, you matter. We are grateful to all the listeners who take the time each week to hear the stories of our guests. Please help us grow the show by taking a moment right now and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Our purpose of this podcast is to impact the world one testimony at a time. My guest this morning is none other than Nick Ketchum. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, buddy. Happy to be here. Dude, this has been a long time coming, man. I've been thinking about you for a long time and having you on the show and I'm excited that we finally made it happen. Dude, me Well, too. you made it happen because you now live up in Washington, so getting you down here is not, you know, it's not something you would normally do now, right? No, but it's a joy to come down to hang out with old buddy. Yep, that's right. <laughs> old buddy, that's right. Very old buddy. Well, I like that we got to meet at the Sassy Union for breakfast this morning and really fellowship, get caught up on just stuff and uh, really hear your heart, uh, where you're at spiritually and what God's doing in your life. So it's going to be a good podcast. Uh, the goals that we're, you know, as transparent as we can possibly be, you know, uh, but we just, uh, we'll just enjoy our conversation. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, hey, let me do a quick intro of you. I'm gonna, I, normally I just, either they tell me about them or I know about them, but usually they'll tell me, I'm going to introduce you the way I know you first, and then I'm going to add on what you told me, because there's some things that you didn't write down. So, here's the things to know about you. You're a twin. Your your sister, and how old are you, by the way? 26, about to turn 27, okay. April 22nd. Who was born first, you or your sister? I was. You were. You're first born. 30 seconds, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. You grew up in Astoria. Yep, yep. So, you went to high school there the whole time? A whole bit. Whole Community bit. college. You like to fish? Dude. Ocean fishing? All kinds of fishing. Doesn't My matter. Favorite fishing is uh, ocean fishing from like a jetty or from a beach. Rockfish, greenling, surf perch, lingcod. Really? All those. From the beach. So much fun. It just seems like the hardest way to fish. Oh, it's in the elements, but uh, if it's a nice day, it's such a blast. Just enjoying the sunshine, listening to the sound of the waves and yeah. catching fish. Yeah. You have a dog named R Wrigley. Cute yep. dog, by the way. A little three and a half year old Lossapoo. Okay. He's, uh, he's been my buddy. You know, since he was a puppy and uh yeah, we've been through a lot together and we're together almost twenty four seven. He almost looks like a golden doodle. Yeah. He a lot most people think he's a golden doodle. Okay. Um, but very cute. He is cute. You've also been in the mortgage business for what, three to five years? Yeah, I, I was about a month away from the five year mark. Okay. And I just dropped my license in uh the start of this last year. Yeah. You have a new a new vision. We'll talk about that here in a moment. So and here's the things you said about you which is really what I want to really talk about. Radically transformed by the love of Jesus. Interesting. You go to Rain Church in Vancouver. You got engaged to a, a lady named Rachel, and you absolutely love her three kiddos. That's pretty cool. You work for a Vancouver startup called CarSolve. You have a heart for men's ministry, and you continue to seek and value mentorship. Sound about right? Absolutely. You and I were talking this morning about some of the mentors we had early on, uh, a guy named Roland. Uh, let's just start with Roland, and then we'll, we'll probably back up a little bit, just talk about your upbringing. But what type of uh, coaching did Roland do for you, and how did it help to where you are from a, maybe a secular standpoint, you know, in business? We'll get into faith and stuff later, but what did Roland do for you? 
That's a, a really good question. I think part of the context is that Roland was the first time in my life that I was completely sure of something. And um, I don't know if it's down to his sales skills <laughs> or if it was the content of what he had, but I knew that whoever this guy was that I had to latch on to, to what he was doing. And um, I was his first mortgage client and a coaching client. And he was an executive coach. And so he started out um, as a physical therapist building a physical therapy practice. Mm -hmm. And then he scaled that and then eventually sold it along with a couple other businesses uh, to become a full-time coach. And I was with him from the beginning of that process for about two years. And in that time, uh, I learned so, so, so much. And part of it's because it was executive coaching, right? It wasn't, how do you close another mortgage loan? How do you have better sales skills? It was, how do you fundamentally change who you are mm. and get aligned inside of yourself uh, so that you can go out and make an impact in the world? And they call it executive coaching because when you're you know, the head of a company, you get to make those high level decisions. And in the same way, you can be executive of your own life if you have awareness and the ability to, um, you know, emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. just the ability to act on exactly what you think is the right thing to do. And I think that most of the time, most people aren't developed enough to the place where they're consistently acting on exactly who they are and living in their perfect purpose. And, uh, yeah, so that's what we worked on. And a lot of it was one awareness of things that I had no idea about that I needed to grow in, which is always fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and two, just doing deep inner work. And, um, that transformed me from viewing life as, as gaining technical skills and abilities and uh and building talent in certain areas and combining those to be successful to looking inward and saying how can i become a person who can be successful in any situation mm. who can uh, no matter what kind of adversity they're facing still be peaceful on the inside and even if their life falls down around them you know as may happen to an entrepreneur um that everything's still going to be okay because yeah. that's the state that you can actually build the best possible life from. And, um, while it wasn't, uh, quite, you know, religious or faith-based at all, it was definitely a great introduction to shifting that paradigm from, yeah. um, the way the world usually does things. Well, the thing I always, I've known about you, cause I met you around 23. I don't, do we have a, like a coffee appointment or something like, Oh dude, buddy Puckett. I don't remember exactly. Was it at Isaac's? Yeah, I think we met, uh, we either met at some sort of function, did a handshake, and um, I was looking, I was oh, looking we for were at, uh, we went golfing with Jordan Keck, maybe. I don't remember. Well, you invited me to coffee. That was the next step. Okay. Wherever we met. And then uh, I was super interested in, because you were talking about mentorship, and I was like, wow, that is important to me. And um. I've been in the mortgage industry for one year and I had known I wanted to be in mortgage, you know, since I was in high school, I did a SWOT analysis on myself, strengths, weaknesses, <laughs> opportunities, threats. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you know, based on who I am, <clears throat> what I'm good at and bad at, and then looking out in the world, what opportunities exist. And then, hmm. you know, what things would probably be more difficult to push forward in. Um, I decided, all right, I'm going to be an insurance agent, real estate agent, or a mortgage lender. And I thought, well, I'm very process oriented and um, I love people and I really want to learn finance and real estate. So that way I could, you know, take advantage of being in a position where every single day I'm learning more and more in two categories at once 
um, that make some of the richest people in the United States, which is business equity and real estate. Yeah. And uh, the financing seemed to be at the center of that and aligned with who I am. And so that was kind of how I made that decision. And um, and then fast forward a year, I've been, you know, years and I was in the mortgage industry a year and then talking to you, I'm like, all right, this is the next step where I stop doing it my way. And I start learning from someone who's uh, who really does this at a high level already. So, yeah, the thing I've known about you, you've always been somebody seeking to learn. Uh, I never really sense you have an ego. I mean, we all have ego, but you're one to learn. And that's really cool. I love that. Um, so, well, hey, let's go back a little bit. Uh, I want to really know who Nick is. I know who Nick is. I've gotten to know you pretty intimately. I mean, I like you a lot, by the way. I think you're a cool dude. And you've impacted my life as a young guy. Go back to, you know, being raised in Astoria, having a twin sister. I know you guys are pretty close. And then we're going to bring it all the way up to where you're at present time. So we're going to leave that until the last in, uh, part of, because there's some good news that's going on in your life right now. And we want to unpack that. But tell us about life. Uh, growing up in Astoria, fishing, just what was life like that makes you who you are today? Yeah, so... I grew up about 14 miles east of Astoria in a town with one blinking yellow light called Napa. Not Napa, California. Napa, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Some people get that confused. <laughs> really? Wine country, huh? <laughs> like, eh, not quite. No. <laughs> Maybe bear country. Bear <laughs> not country. Not wine country. Okay. Uh, no. Had a twin sister. Two parents are still married. Um, grew up Catholic. Went to Star of the Sea, a Catholic school um, through eighth grade. And I think that to this day, that was one of the best things my parents ever did. Yeah. Um, couldn't afford it, but my mom worked there to cut the tuition and um, just put in lots of hours and it was a labor of love uh, to get us to go there. And um, that definitely shaped who I am in huge ways. And I specifically remember one day I was like, wow, this whole Jesus thing is about being kind and I'm going to be a kind person no matter what for the rest of my life. Mm. And uh, it's really cool how that came about because of a decision that, you know, my parents made like, that's a blessing that I got handed and, um, I don't miss that. And, uh, yeah, at home, I mean, I'm so, so, so lucky that I had a mom that loved me so incredibly much. Not that my dad didn't love me. Right. Yeah. But special bond with moms. I get that special bond there. And I feel like this unconditional love is a huge part of, you know, who I am and, and shaped yeah. how I see the world. And, um, and that's kind of what my mom and I shared. And then with my dad, we would spend lots of quality time. Yeah. Uh, we got to go fishing a lot, you know, being so close to the Columbia River. We had a little 14-foot boat we'd take out on buoy 10. Fish on. Look like crazy nuts out there. Everyone else is in their 21 to 25-foot boats <laughs> trolling around, you know, $50,000 rigs. And we're like, <laughs> this motor's 300 bucks. Hopefully it lasts the trip, you know? <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, it's so much fun. And... um. Yeah, and then my sister and I are absolute best friends. Uh, lived together for a long time after high school, and uh, just that's been like that ever since we were kids. And because hmm. uh, we we grew up in the country, right, where we couldn't go see friends. Very you don't easily. have friends coming over; it's just you, mm. you and her. Well, sometimes when you're older, right, but especially in the beginning, uh, we just had to figure it out. Like we didn't have TV for a very long time. We watched some movies, but it wasn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like, you know, growing up maybe a decade prior or two. 
And uh, it meant there was a lot of time spent playing together, a lot of time making, you know, potions in the backyard or <laughs> doing whatever things kids do. Uh, and reading a lot of books. Um, I like playing strategy games once we got a computer. Mm -hmm. uh, the original Warcraft, not like the online portion, just how do I... Things that would I knew would build up who I was, you know, while um, while having fun at the same time, and so I loved reading, loved playing strategy games, and then would go outside and go fishing. We lived pretty close to Big Creek, mm -hmm. Napa. Uh, there's a fish hatchery there. It was awesome. It was a great time and a, a great place to grow up. So you stay there. You go through high school. Are you still in a Catholic school in high school? No. So we went to Astoria High School. Okay. Um, it's so funny. First day. Uh, some kid runs in front of me. Everyone's like running around like crazy. I'm like, what's happening? Uh, and the group of us from Star of the Sea walk in and we're like, whoa. Uh, one person chasing another. Someone, you know, is throwing apples at the wall. Someone else dumps their lunch tray on the ground. A fight breaks out within like this is weird, 15 right? minutes. We're like, whoa. Where are we? This is a different world. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so you're pretty isolated in a way. I suppose that's good in your nurturing years, but then, holy crap, you know, the world hits you right in the face when you enter high school, having been sheltered a little bit. What, did you find that being a little difficult or you fit right in? I think I was pretty adaptable. Um, I, I was always pretty okay with, you know, who I was. I was like, well, I'm just going to be nice and I'm going to do my schoolwork. And yeah. That's what I'm here to do. Um, that's awesome. I was super blessed. Uh, you know, didn't really feel I was particularly bullied or have trouble making friends or, you know, it was, it was an enjoyable experience. And I think we had a particularly good high school class as well. Okay. We a pretty cohesive unit. Um, that was awesome. How, how many that. kids were in your high school? I think a hundred and, oh, in the high school total? I guess maybe or your I, class. I, well. I think 143 or so in okay, our class. So then like that. the class, the whole high school, maybe five, 600. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. 4A. 4A. Yeah. Okay. Cool. After you graduate, right? You graduated. Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to Clatsop Community College. Uh, my parents are always like, well, you're on your own for college. We love you. And you know, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you got to go figure it out. So I was like, well, I don't really want to go into debt. So how do I, how do, I do this? That so, might have been the best thing, by the way. I think more parents should consider not feeling obligated to pay their kids way through college. Maybe that's just my opinion. But I'm hearing you say it made you think about money and debt like, oh, I'm on the hook. I'm 18 and I don't want debt. How many kids are actually, I call them kids, are actually adults. They're 18. Maybe the parents are pushing them into college and the parents foot the bill. So $100,000 uh, or 30000 a year, 120000 after four years. The kids aren't responsible for that money because they don't, they're not really the ones that Said they wanted to do it. Anyway, back to you. I, I love that you had to figure that out. So what'd you do? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's pros and cons to it, right? Um, I'll tell you about the positives of my experience because, you know, that's the reality I kind of live in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I applied for as many scholarships as I possibly can. Astoria, I was super blessed to be part of, you know, the Astoria School District, which has the second best or at least had a scholarship program in the state, only second to Lake Oswego. And so Astoria Scholarship Inc., I think is what it's called, but wow. very strong program. So applied for every single possible scholarship um, and ended up being able to get the two-year degree uh, with no debt. Um, big win. 
did quite a few classes in high school because of again a great partnership between the the high school and the community college mm -hmm. and um yeah it was a great way to get started save money and also it really there was some great time with professors that are really high level that um, shaped who I was and I just wouldn't have had that unique access otherwise yeah uh, a lot of time spent just digging deep into things um, uh, specifically in, into psychology and just learning more about who I was and yeah. who I wanted to be and where I was going. Cause you know, the next step, I it wasn't so sure. Right? I didn't know what kind of college I want to go to for sure. Exactly the degree I knew, you know, in general, I was like this mortgage lending thing seems pretty good. You know, I'm going to move towards that. Um, but yeah, it was a time of self-discovery for sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting hearing you, you've always been very aware of maybe what the future might look like. Like I was, honestly, I was 17, graduated from high school. I go, huh, don't know what to do. What do you, I hadn't even thought about it. And here you are, you've been thinking about it for a long time. Well, and I, that comes from, you know, originally being in a place. So I had Tourette's uh, starting about third grade. Explain Tourette's. So that's, you know, sustained motor and vocal tics, you know, involuntary repetitious movements uh, for a year or more in a way that uh, is, you know, creates problems in your life, right? Whether it's, you know, looking inward or, or your self-esteem or how you see the world, right? So, yeah. so there's some sort of issue there because of them. And um, <clears throat> that lasted through high school, you know, and, and to this day, I still have ticks, but it's not anything like it was. Yeah. And uh, man, the, the formative moment of my life where I really realized that, you know, there, I had some level of control and, um, and that, kind of shaped how I started viewing my awareness, right? And like intentionally cultivating it uh, was this time when my friend Morgan, dude, absolute light of a guy, love him, um, Morgan Fruitt, he invited me to play basketball on the team. And I was, <laughs> you know, maybe 80 pounds overweight. This is high school? Yeah. You're 80 pounds overweight. Yeah. Uh, but you're not today. You're no. You're total fit, dude. Feeling good. Uh, That's interesting. I can't imagine a bigger Nick. Oh, dude. So the way it even got there, I'll go back a little bit. I love the video game Halo, Halo Reach, Halo 4. It's had 10,000 plus hours on that. Wow. You know, I'm reaching some <laughs> top ranks, playing with some really high level people on there. Wow. And, uh, and you know, part of it's just who I am, which is like, I want to do everything at the highest possible level. You go all in. Yeah. And I think from having the Tourette's, I had this thing where my concept of myself was someone who, you know, wasn't worthy or couldn't accomplish things. It was this paradigm around control that really wasn't serving me or anyone else. Hmm. And um, and so it felt really good to have something where you can master it, right? And at the same time, be numb to who I was at the time. And uh, so video games filled that spot for a while, but that comes at a cost, right? If you're sitting there all day, every single day, and just eating like a normal teenager. <laughs> it's pretty predictable it's going to happen. <laughs> I remember you told me a story one time. How many, what, what soda did you drink? I, it, oh, Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. How many, red, baby. <laughs> how many did you drink a day? Oh, three to six a day. Yeah. Chugging I, iced I tea. Whew, loved Life it. Life was good, man. How much sugar is in like 50 grams of sugar in a Mountain Dew? A ton. Too much. Can you imagine? Oh, dude, that'd be that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, Gotta love that though. But yeah, so... I was doing that and then my buddy invited me. I'm like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And basketball, that is. Yep, basketball, okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh 
to be honest, it was the hardest thing I had done in my entire life. I pushed through, but again, you take someone that overweight and you throw them on a basketball court at a tryouts. Um, <laughs> it's not, it's going to be hard, right? It's not supposed to be easy, even if you're fit. And, um, I just remember walking out, my dad throws open the passenger or the Ford Ranger. He's picking me up and, um, I'm crying like just it's relief. It's feeling a little bit proud that I, I did it. It's feeling like I was so much worse. It was all these things all at once, right? It was just a lot of emotion. And, uh, and my dad had constantly been pushing me he's like, you need to eat less. You need to do this. You need to do that with your weight. I want you to be healthy and feel good about yourself. And, and you should play basketball. You should do sports. And I was like, I was like, no, 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 no. You know, I felt like it was critical and criticism mm -hmm. and, uh, and took it personally. Right. Well, he opens that door. I walk into the truck and he's like, he just takes a sec, listens to what I got to say. And he's like, you don't have to go back. And it was like this moment of total acceptance for who I was that it really made me feel loved because I realized all those times when he's trying to push me weren't, it wasn't him being critical. Yeah. It wasn't him thinking less of who I was. It was only meant to help me get towards a place where I could, you know, love myself. But your perception was. Correct. It's exactly, critical. Exactly the opposite. And uh, probably what happens with a lot of parents and their kids. Parents are pushing their kids to do something. Kids think it's critical. But because perception is what? Reality. Yep. Okay. One was so beautiful in that moment is it gave, it, it gave me back control. It gave me the ability to see that I'm in control of my life, that he handed it back to me and said, actually, you, you are now the master of your destiny. And especially looking at the hardest thing that I'd ever done right in the face. And, um, and I said, you know, what? I'm going to go back. And so I did day after day after day, which is, it's interesting. Your dad goes, Hey, here's the reins of your life. Decide what you want to do. And you made a decision. Yeah. And I think that was the moment going back to what your comment earlier that I was like, wow, I can really do this intentionally. I can control this to some degree. Like there's an amazing life out there. What really happened is I got this shot of hope in my arm and, um, you know, I would only come to know this later. But what that hope was is that I could have all the things in life that everyone else can have and, you know, only some people strive for, which is, you know, income stability, like enough money where you can buy things that you want, a good relationship, um, you know, physical health and fitness, like just these general things. And, um, and that was the first time I ever realized I could actually achieve that. And it was so wonderful. And, and Morgan, my best friend was there all the each step of the way. Hmm. And it was such a blessing. You know, I wouldn't call it that then, but, uh, to have such amazing people around, you know? Yeah. And to be so supportive in a time that was so important. And yeah, I just kind of lit up from there. Then I was like, all right, how do I read every book I can on this journey? Like if I want to be, you know, at the table with really high level people, then I got to do high level things. You know, what do they do? Oh, they listen to audiobooks on two times speed. They, uh, <laughs> they work out every day. They run every day. They, they do X, Y, and Z. And, wow. um, there's some things in common, although everyone's very different. That's successful. There's also some things that are principles of life that you can follow that are pretty consistent. Well, sounds to me, I mean, there was a, uh, a decision made. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And there's belief behind that. When did you're, you're a 
fit Gainel, when did you decide to go on a journey of, because you said you're 80 pounds overweight or mm -hmm. something, how'd you do that and when did that occur? Yeah, that's super interesting. So what happened is I lost like 20 pounds in the first, like, I think it was a month and a half. Just from and playing basketball. Dude. And not, and I wasn't eating as much food because I felt full, right? My tummy would hurt, so I couldn't eat beforehand. And I didn't want to eat afterwards because a lot of, and it just completely changed uh, my relationship with food in that way. I was like, oh, I don't have to eat all the time. I can just stop this. Uh, but that wasn't the whole story, right? So I still had this weird relationship with food where it was like a coping mechanism. But to answer your question on the other side of it, I, I got social feedback. And so it's like, sometimes I feel like we need to get out of our head, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's, and it has to come back to us feeling like we can control our thoughts and emotions, but it started this feedback loop where there was social validation of, wow, you're doing really good. Like we can see you lost weight. That's awesome. Good for you. And then I would see, wow, that felt great. Not only to hear that from someone, um, but it, it is important to me. Right. Like it's important to the world. It's important to me. This is something that I want to do on every level. And uh, I think through that, and then it started to become a thing that I internalized. Right. It wasn't about the external rewards that I was getting anymore. It was about just getting the sense of fulfillment within myself uh, over the next year. You know, I did all sorts of diets, you know, intermittent fasting. You did. You know, all way back then. And, yeah. All sorts of stuff. Uh, and yeah, lost 80 pounds is what ended up happening. You know, In one year. One year. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you 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 take it to yeah it is a belief and decision but you're probably a words of affirmation guy I mean think of the five love languages it's, it's it's the third one yeah okay it's still in there though yep and I realize you know, I always say I don't nobody needs to say anything whatever to me I don't doesn't matter and it actually does I like when people actually hey you look like I mean people say you look like you lost weight. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I usually make fun of myself because I don't feel like I've lost weight. But so you internalized what people were saying, not just externally, but you took it in and go, you know what? I'm going to internalize that and it changed you. Yeah. And I think it was really interesting because the goal is always to just have it be something where you're doing it for yourself, right? But the catalyst can be something that's coming externally. And that's something that looking back, I'm like, wow, that's really cool that that happened to happen like that, right? Otherwise, it might not have kickstarted everything that followed. Uh, and now I'm much more intentional about how do I make that happen for other people? Well, what's the, what's the saying? It says, uh, you become the five people you hang around with. That mm -hmm. is the external, you know, I've heard Darren Hardy yeah. say, you know, you shouldn't be influenced by other people, but we are. Absolutely. Right. You can't blame them for influencing you because you, you, you chose to do something, but that external influence is a big deal. I, I know me, um, if somebody's going to eat healthy, I'm going to eat healthy. If somebody else is going to eat cookies, honey, I might be talking about you. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we like cookies. I'm probably going to eat cookies. So we have to be intentional though. Well, and I remember there being a moment too where I, I looked around and I was like, if I want to be different than everyone else in my life, I have to have different people around me. You know, like once I got past that baseline of like, all right, now I feel normal you know, within myself. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, how do you, how do you do that? How does one actually accomplish that? And then I came across Tim Ferriss and he's like, well, uh, you can just read books, listen to podcasts, find mentors online. Like it doesn't have to be someone that's in person, the five people that are closest to you physically. It can right. be who's 
the most influential and owns the most uh, space in your brain who owns most of your attention. And so that was a very intentional process of, all right, now I'm going to start watching YouTube videos from people who have money, people who are fit, people who have amazing relationships and uh, just make them a part of my life. Well, you can almost get a, a, a PhD in YouTube, you know, I mean, you can learn almost anything. It's oh, so amazing. Dude, my first day in lending, I came in equipped with 90 days of eight hours a day of mortgage coach and Todd Duncan sales mastery. And I, dude, I was so far away from owning a house. Like, and I barely, I literally could not spell the word mortgage on my first day. Yeah. Yeah. But I had a really good idea about how to structure a loan. That's like, cool. and that's a high level activity. That's the hard part. Yeah. You're willing to do the work. Well, let's talk about mortgage for a moment because uh, when I met you, I mean, I don't know anybody that worked more hours than you. I mean, you put in the hours and and it wasn't easy. You weren't necessarily closing lots of deals, but it finally caught on and you're willing to put in the hours working until, I don't know, <laughs> one, two in the morning, get up at six, do it again. Remember that? Dude, well, when you love, dude, I loved it. That was the thing. Like I genuinely was doing something that I loved. Yeah. And, um. The biggest thing for me is that it was such an act of faith. And again, I wouldn't have that word before. And now I know exactly what it was, right? Yeah. And because purpose was driving me. And the first six months, well, five and a half months, uh, didn't make anything. Yeah. And I was getting this draw, getting this draw. My bills are stacking up. But you know what? I kept showing up. And eventually I'm like, all right, if it's not happening, you know, by the end of this third month, I got to take it to another level or it's not going to work, right? Just factually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think my rent was like 243 bucks. There's like six other people there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, whatever it takes to make it work. Whatever and, uh, it takes. And so I, I'm i like, all right, I'm going to do 100 days of eight hours a day. And then most days would be much longer. But that's like the minimum, right? Yeah. I missed two days of that. But it just took it to another level of like, I'm willing to do what it takes. And at the end of that, close four loans in one pay period. And I was like, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> this is a real thing and I can close a loan and it's it's possible and we're going to keep going from here. So. What's the most loans you ever closed in a month? I think it was 26 with you on your team between uh, Scott Price's loans, yeah, um, my loans. 26. I, had, I think I had eight from Scott, four of my own, and then the rest were yours when you were gone uh, out that first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I checked out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I remember coming back. <laughs> so just for the audience, I was going to go on a sabbatical in 2020. My daughter was getting married, and so I, I decided I'd take from July 1st to like mid-August off. I call it my 40 days in the wilderness. And this young guy named Nick was going to replace me while I was gone. And uh, I remember, Nick, you probably remember this, but it's probably May or June. You're sitting in my office, and I said, hey, Nick, what do you need from me? So when I leave, you're good. And you sat in there at about five minutes. I'm like, dude, you, you haven't said anything yet. Uh, what are you thinking? I'm not there yet. Maybe another five minutes go by. And you go, I got it. I go, okay, what do you got? He goes, here's what I need from you. I go, okay, what is it? I think it was six words. I need you to trust me. That, that right there, those six words gave me permission to leave. I don't know if you know that. And so I left. I could leave. I left it all really in your hands and the rest of the team member. And you guys closed a bunch of loans 
while I was gone. And what's interesting, being gone and checking out, for me personally, I realized a lot of my identity was in what I was doing for a living. And it should never be in what you do for a living. It's not what I do, it's who I am. And so for me, uh, after being in the mortgage industry for over 20 years, realizing how much my identity was in mortgage, came back and uh, I was free for the rest of my life to never go back into having mortgage as my identity. But the funny thing is when I came back after being gone for 40 days, <laughs> I'm looking at you and your face is white as a ghost. I go, dude, are you okay? And you say these words. I've said this often to people. It's funny. I think the stress is getting to me. You think? <laughs> so you were working because you were trying to manhandle a bunch of loans and uh, the the team and the staff would say you'd work till like one or two in the morning. You'd sleep in the office sometimes, skip at five or six, work all day. I Man, I felt horrible, but you know what? It helps you actually fast forward and figure out what it is you love to do, what you're called to do, what your purpose is. And during that time, that was exactly your purpose to to figure out who Nick is. And that's kind of where we're going to get to now. And and it was a journey for you because I look back because, um, you know, w- one of the things is your life has changed. You moved on and, and uh, you met someone. And uh, so I want you to do this. I want you to kind of walk me through what your your current priorities are. And then what is this news that you have coming up here? Uh, and you can do it however order you want. Maybe tell me the news. But uh, what's going on in your life right now that's made you, you know, go through mortgage to where you're at today, where you work? Yeah, I will say one thing that bridges that gap that you taught me in that process when I said, I just need you to trust me. And then you chose to do that. And it changed your life and even your concept of like who you are. Uh, was surrender. Like Mm. you, it taught me that someone high level, you know, in a very difficult time, you know, we, part of the context is that Scott Price had passed away on the branch and it's the highest volume ever, the biggest opportunity, but he possibly could have had, you know, uh, and he saw what the price was, you know, potentially for living that life of working a lot. And, um, and his daughter's wedding and, you know, everything was on the line. And instead of diving into the way he'd always done things, he mm-hmm. chose to surrender and, um, not surrender in a bad way, like give up, but just surrender the old self and accept the new self that, you know, serves not only him, but everyone around him better, you know, not just me, but all the borrowers that we could help and yeah. not just them, but the families that were impacted, uh, by getting in homes, like, it was so, so, so meaningful and the people that you could minister to, right? Mm. Outside of that, because you had more free time. And, yeah. And then, so fast forward, uh, you know, that was, you know, before I, you know, maybe in the last two years, you know, I had to figure it out. Uh, I lost my house, boats, cars, basically all of life, right? Every, every normal thing uh, was stripped away. At one point I'm facing three lawsuits and, uh, and then there came a moment where I was being t- told about Jesus. I, I met my now fiance, Rachel, uh, and she's talking to me and she's telling me about Jesus. And I was a staunch atheist and I was, yet I was also on this journey of self-discovery and I was very broken and she keeps bringing me these concepts and ideas. And I'm like, how do you know this? This is so high level. It took me like 
years of self-awareness and journaling to get to this point where I'm finally fleshing out the first inkling of this idea that you already have beautifully laid out where, what is the source, you know? (laughs) And she's like, well, it's called the Bible and it's Jesus. (laughs) And, uh, and it was just phenomenal. I was like, wow, maybe, maybe there's something here. Right. And then she asked me like, you know, do you believe one day? And I did a, a check with myself and going back to you, you know, I think it was subconscious, but in that moment I chose to surrender. Right. And I didn't know what I was choosing was hope. You know, I was hopeless and I was choosing hope. And um, from that moment on, it felt like I was on fire. So a couple of weeks after that uh, was my first Sunday at, at Rain Church. And Rachel and I, you know, just know each other and started dating um, shortly after that. And uh, yeah, I only missed one Sunday since then, going to Rain, um, go to Bible college, Wednesday service. Love going to the Saturday morning men's groups and I'm um, just plugged completely in a bunch of amazing people there. And, you know, each and every addiction stripped away. Like it is crazy when you can pray and ask God for something and he gives you the ability, you know, by the work of your hands to experience blessings. Hmm. And, you know, it's both spiritual blessings and it's prosperity. Like it's it manifests in the world. And so over the last couple of years, it's gone from this place of complete brokenness, you know, not only on the inside, but on the outside, you know, to, to fully rebuilding to something that is more than 10 times better than I even could have imagined before. Um, and that's, you know, not only my relationship, but, uh, the job I have now, uh, my relationship with my body and how I view myself, um, just all of it, just so, so, so accelerated. But it's because of that, that theme of, of surrender. Hmm. Walk us through kind of what your, <clears throat> what your priorities are today. You can compare it to the past. I don't really care. I think you're always on the journey of seeking to truth, even though you say you're a staunch atheist, but somewhere down deep, God puts a God-sized hole in your heart. I think you mentioned that this morning. Um, it's always there. People have it because even atheists believe in something. Well, and but, uh, so walk us through your priorities, but anyway, yeah. Continue. Yeah. And I, you know, the priorities, it, it starts with love. And that's also exactly what was at the core of the whole atheist thing is when I broke it down, I could never figure out a way to understand how I could believe like that and be unconditionally loved at the same time. And yeah, that's the only thing that I, I realized mattered at all. Love. Everything else was irrelevant. And so it was really early on after I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do this Jesus thing. I'm going to choose to surrender. I saw the verse and it said, God is love. And I was like, oh my Did your gosh, brain just dude, blow up? What are you kidding me? God is love. That It's an ID in plain sight this whole time. The whole time. That's, oh my goodness sakes. I bet your mind just blew. Dude, day. dude, how could you not want to choose to serve love for the rest of your life? What downside is there going to be to serving love to authentically and wholly surrendering as a servant of love. No downside. There's none. I, it's, that's it. Game over. Well, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you haven't read that chapter to Rachel or to yourself, you know, it's a love chapter. But, you know, at the, at the telling of that verse, it says, faith, hope, and love. 
but the greatest is love. Well, you don't take faith and hope to heaven, but love you always have. It all comes down to love. The whole Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Jesus is love. God is love. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and and that love, you're talking about priorities. I mean, he's at the center of our priorities, right? And I think it's pretty clear. Uh, you put God first, right? You know, it can be time-wise, but it's really where your emotional intimacy is, hmm. you know? So is that first with God? Is that where you're going to put that stake? You know, and second, it's with your spouse, right? Uh, or future spouse, as you're practicing, right, yeah. for marriage. And, you know, third, kids. And then, and fourth, really, is work and combined with work ministry. Like, all of us are called to them this ministry of, you know, not only discipleship, uh, but also saving souls. So I think we can do that through our work. We can do that in our church community. We can do that in, uh, with non-believers. Like we can, we can do that with our friends. All of those things are kind of included under that umbrella for me. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I try my very best to live by and appreciate that order and, uh, just make it an, an explicit part of how I structure my life. Yeah. Beautiful. Now I know you have some notes you'd like to maybe even share, but, um, What's your favorite Bible verse? I know you may have shared the the reference, but I don't know what it is. So tell us. Yeah. Oh, my favorite verse of all time. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Uh, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or love your neighbor as yourself. Excuse me. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Man, one, that love, right? That's probably the the biggest way that I view God is as love. And this speaks directly to that. And the idea that Jesus was trying to be, you know, tricked and they're trying to push him into a corner when he says this, <laughs> they're like, well, which one's the most important then, right? And he's like, actually, let me sum up the entire Bible and anything anyone could ever say <laughs> in a couple sentences and just give it to you like baby food, just spoon feed it right into your mouth. And I'm like, Ooh, it's so good. But I think what hit me so hard the first time I read that is this, that it's, it's two things, right? Love the Lord, your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Um, but it says, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. What it's speaking to there is equally important. All right. Then why is it first? It's order. Oh. And I was like, ooh. All it's right. It's order. It's not it's, once more than that. It's order. So you must love the Lord God with all your heart. Then you can love your neighbor as yourself. Because you can't love people if you don't love God. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And then even like the true genuine love of God can't flow through you without that. Right. And then second, um, I realized there was three parts here, you know, based on my own experience with working through, you know, self-esteem issues, mm -hmm. I was like, well, when you love God, what automatically happens? Well, you know, you love yourself in that because God loves you so much that if you actually know who God is, then you understand that you are conditionally loved at the same time. And so really it's a three part scripture. It's, it's saying three things. And I think this connects the dots for a lot of people who might not necessarily be believers, right? Mm -hmm. It's, what it's actually communicating is you love God with everything you got, you surrender to him. And in that you not only 
are unconditionally loved, but you love yourself in an authentic and genuine way, like God loves you. And when you love God and inside of yourself, you absolutely love yourself in the best possible way, not an egotistical way, Hmm. then you can truly express love. And that, that lit me up. I'm like, well, I remember you when we worked together. I think there are days when you beat yourself up and you weren't showing love to yourself. This is not a weird love. This, mm-hmm. But how do you go love on other people if you can't, you know, love what, how God's made you and wired you? And, but that's interesting. And also your, one of your favorite verses was what Galatians, what, 522? Correct. And the only way to, you can unpack that a little bit, but the fruit of the spirit, how do you do that? How do you, how do you receive and do the fruit of the spirit? What's that like? What's that for you? For me, it's just a constant reminder that if I truly believe Matthew 22, 37 through 40, then it must be in my actions. Hmm. That's it. That's the bottom line. Uh, Otherwise it's not really God's love. I mean, it's got, it's got to come all the way through because second, but equally important is love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. I think that's what it's saying. It's talking about faith and it's, and it's talking about works and how both, you need both yeah. uh, to truly complete this loop of like what God's love really is. And, um, and I think he even gives us like a warning because there was a time when, you know, being someone who's very intentional with awareness, right? I was very aware of things that weren't serving me, right? Things that were the opposite of peace and love and joy in my mm-hmm. life, even if I wouldn't have used those words. Yeah. And um, and I would watch myself do it and be like, I can't stop or I don't I don't want to, right? At some level, right? There's there's conflict in the inside of me. And um I think it's really cool. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 addresses this. It says, I say then walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What I want to highlight there is so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so to me, that just backs up that meaning of Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Hmm. It's like, if you've got this awareness of what you're doing and it's these habits and cycles that are going on in your life, it doesn't just get to be, I'm going to blame the enemy for this and just say that, okay, whatever. It's actually your personal responsibility to get to know God better and know his love. He is love. You have to understand love at a higher level so you can understand that love for yourself and then express it in your actions and behaviors. And that's no one else's responsibility but your own. And so this was a huge check for me because I was looking at, especially in the beginning, you know, these, these cycles of behavior. And I'm like, wow. I, it's not that I'm in control, mm-hmm. but it's my responsibility to partner with God on this mm-hmm. in emotional intimacy and really get to know him and his love so that these things will fall away. Well, I think, and we're talking about the love that's godly love, agape love. You know, we live in uh, the world and love can be, oh, I feel warm and fuzzy and, you know, whatever. It's Valentine's Day or and we're emotional but that that's a a noun, not a verb. But the type of love that God talked about is is a verb. It's an action verb, and it's it's unconditional love. It's it's service. And if we don't get that, we can't really understand how to love God and then love people. 
Because if we love people, we expect them to love us emotionally. And that's not always the case. But really, we're, you know, if we don't love people the way God call, has called us to, then maybe we're not actually loving God the way he wants to be loved. So yeah, we love God, love people, and as we love people is how we love God. If we don't actually love the people, then how is it we're loving? I don't know, I just, well, it's interesting. Yeah, and that the concept of love is directly tied to, um, well, in you talking about loving your neighbor as yourself, it directly ties this idea that how you treat people is a reflection of your relationship with God. I think that's super important. Yeah. Right? We are absolutely righteous. And that was a huge thing when I first learned that. I was like, God is so good. <laughs> uh, forgiven yeah. unconditionally, right? As if it's never happened. And um, at the same time, it's like, let's make an honest measure of where we're at as Christians in our walk, right? Like, mm. How are we allowing, how are we surrendering to God and allowing him to work through us in our actions every single day? And not only our actions, but our spiritual state, the love and the peace and the joy that we experience in every single moment that's undefiled. And um, I think just even consciously being aware that that's the direction you want to go and then taking each situation and looking at it and saying, wow, I, in the service of love, I'm going to surrender this, even if it feels wrong, even if it, it's not the immediate answer. Yeah. Uh, I think that's how you, you walk in the spirit. Hmm. Dude, you impact a lot there. It's amazing what God, I can remember, what, a year ago? Hey, buddy, I found Jesus. Like, Who, who's this? <laughs> year and a half, yeah. <laughs> year and a half ago? Hey, this is Nick. Oh. No, I'm joking, <laughs> but it was just neat to see what God's doing in your life and what God is going to continue to do as you surrender. I do want to say one more one more thing. I came up with this question uh, that's kind of the test on that. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, right? And, and walking with the spirit is your own idea of how close you are to God more important to you than your actual relationship with him. Because if your own idea of how close you are to God is more important, then you'll constantly try to look at other people, other situations, other circumstances, than your own relationship with God and use it as an excuse for how you're acting. So that taking that responsibility and then turning it into surrender, I think is, uh, is the thing that's helped me grow a lot or a thing that's helped me grow a lot. That's awesome. Well, Hey, we're going to wrap up here in a moment. Um, share with us, you got some news that's going on in your life. And then, uh, I got another question for you. Yeah, dude. Very excited to be Getting married on next getting married four four twenty four to Rachel Bergard. So tell us about that. Where's uh how how how'd you propose to her? First of all, how did you know she's the one? Because this came in short order. Yeah, it's been about a year year and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, when did you know, or how did you know? How'd you propose? And then how'd you get to decide that Hawaii was a place? That's really good. So. One thing I'll say is uh, I've only had four things that I've ever been completely all in on with my entire heart in my whole life. Uh, one was that coaching with Roland, that first yeah. real mentor I had. Um, second was Jesus. You know, third was relationship with Rachel. And then fourth is, you know, this company that I'm working for now, Carsolf. And um, there's just something so meaningful behind operating in total conviction, right? It's, it drives purpose to agree that beyond anything that makes sense. 
And um, yeah, so we we met and we were dating for, I don't know, maybe a month. And on the first day I met her, I'm like, oh, I could totally marry this person. And I, I literally hadn't thought that about anyone before. But first time I met her, I'm like, I could totally marry this person. I don't know him at all, but eh, it could happen. You know, about a month later, I'm like, yes. All right. God, unless you tell me no, this that's what I'm choosing. And so we weren't even talking about that at all, right? But, you know, I started sowing the seeds, right? How do I become a better man? What does it mean to be a biblical man in marriage? Like, what does marriage even mean? And uh, just doing the work, doing what it took. And um, yeah, then a year, almost a year later, uh, in July, this last July, proposed to her, um, borrowed a buddy, Rusty, his barn. And um, dude, it was like an MTV music video no way <laughs> did up the loft with like hay bales on the sides and there's like a little island and arch and you know it it looked really nice it was really good and we did a surprise engagement and that's um, so cool friends and family there and really? it was a blast but it was really meaningful to rachel yeah it was it was awesome did you cry no but i was definitely i was more excited than nervous i'm the excited guy you know yeah i uh I, when you believe for something that long with so much of your heart, um, you, you just get excited. Yeah. You guys have gone through premarital counseling. Yeah. And, you know, shortly after we started counseling and um, it all happened perfectly in God's timing. It was yeah. just, I couldn't imagine getting married and not having that experience. I uh, just mm. couldn't more highly recommend it. And uh, we learned so, so much. And then, you know, one thing I told us is like, wait to set the date until afterwards. And um, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So your heart can fully be in on, let's decide if this is going to work. That's the purpose partially of the counseling, right? That yeah. and develop the skills and tools and resources to, to be married and come to understand together what being married is before you enter the covenant. And um, it's so awesome. So we get done. We're praying about it. Um, we come to this, this date and we want it to be simple and stress-free and about her. So we're like, Maybe we'll just feel the waters out for Hawaii, April 4th, um, tons of prayer and confirmation, right? And, but we're like, the one thing is we want our pastors to marry us. So <laughs> that's a hard stop. We don't know how we can't really afford to pay for their tickets. You know, we don't know how it's going to work. And it's a lot of faith going on. Well, so Rachel goes and asks uh, Sarah, you know, Joel's wife. And, um, and Rachel's like, Hey, uh, you know, we want to get married April 4th in Hawaii, you know, 2nd through 10th. Is there any way you guys could do that? Like, could we pay for your tickets? Like, what does that look like? And, and Sarah's like, oh, yeah, we'll already be there. What? <laughs> so she's like, yeah, we've been planning this for two years. Almost. It could be the same exact date. But right when Rachel and I met. No way. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so it's going to work. And so we're all like, all right. Yes, sir. The stars like we get have that. lined up, that, and God's opened the that sounds the good floodgates of heaven, dude. And since then, it's like the airline tickets, you know, under two hundred fifty bucks. Uh, just, just situation after situation that believing in faith, and um, it's kept materializing in in real examples of like God's goodness. So yeah. it's just been phenomenal. Yeah, man, I'm super happy for you. Super happy you found love that is in Jesus, but that He also brought you a a woman that you want to marry. She has three kids and you love them. Absolutely. Oh man. What a, what a great time to just be 
you know, be mindful, be accountable, be intentional. And Nick, I feel like you're really, you're, you're, you are an all in guy and yeah, this is good. Well, and I feel like probably the biggest like capstone to wrap up, you know, the connection between, you know, the then and now, and even looking forward is just the hope in the future full of, of Jesus, right? Like that's the source of the hope now before there was no hope. There was no hope even in the future of having money, having a relationship. I one time was like, I'm never, I'm so lowly, like because of this condition I have, I know I'll never be with anyone. Like, and I just got to accept that. And I genuinely believe that that was an agreement I had with myself. Right. Wow. And I can never have the things that people have. And so I got this worldly hope, you know, when my, my friend believed in me and was supporting me and had that experience with my dad and, and it was a worldly hope. And so I achieved all those things and it, I still realized it, it was meant nothing. It's empty. It was empty, but it took getting there to know that, right? Because I know what real, real lack was. It's not even believing that you could have those things. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> um, and it was no better. It was just as bad. Uh, and so then now living every moment with a hope of a future in Jesus, it's just the only way. Hmm. Man, that's so cool. Hey, we're going to wrap up on just the note of uh, you're now in a different business. You seem pretty passionate. Tell us about CarSolve and what do you do and why does it bring you joy? Yeah, um, I'm kind of uh, in charge of our our uh, partnerships and um, working with investors and developing the direction that we go with the business, um, like the business model and things like that. And um, yeah, CarSolve is uh, the United States' first exclusively digital a consumer to dealer auto auction. And so what's super cool is that over 230 transactions successfully closed since this last April, uh, we've averaged $3,900 more than CarMax is able to get people for their vehicles. And so it's a way that we can get clients a cash offer and at a very minimal cost. We charge $250 to the client uh, we charge the dealer $500 on the back end, which is lower than their traditional auction fees to mm-hmm. source premium inventory. And so it's a massive win for these dealers to get these high quality used vehicles. And it's a massive win for clients who they get the speed, the ease, uh, the safety and the security um, of what would normally be like an instant cash offer or a trade in, right? Like you get all those features when you just drive to a dealership and drop off your car. Yeah. But you know, you're getting raked. Or maybe you don't know and you're just not educated enough and you're like, eh, whatever. Either way, there's money left on the table. But most people don't know or don't know how to go around that because there's no good system. The other option is private party where you get all the money. But again, you're facing all those issues. It's not safe. Uh, Physically, it's not financially secure. You know, there's lots of scammers. Uh, It's not very easy because you got to do all the title paperwork. Um, So you guys do A to Z. I mean, you guys take take all the pressure off and make it simple. And, And it's quick. Yeah. And even compared to something like a trade-in, we also take negotiation off the table because we do that for clients. So they they list their car on our platform. It's just like you're listing on Facebook. You put photos, uh, you disclose everything about the vehicle. You're totally transparent, every single thing. Put it on our platform. We have 80 plus local dealers bidding on these vehicles over 72 hours. Uh, and what's cool is they're not only putting in bids, then they're bidding against each other using our a proprietary software and algorithm. So hmm. you get the very higher than the highest amount any dealer in the entire market would pay. Yeah. And the reason it works so well is that 
the market market is very fragmented. So the amount that the average dealer will pay for any given car compared to the amount that the highest paying dealer would pay in that market is extremely high, but there's no way to help a customer, a consumer capture that value until right. now. Right. So we will, uh, we're actually in the middle of a fundraising round right now, a seed round, um, doing a $750,000 convertible note. And, um, we've got some interested parties and we're, you know, we're looking to move forward within 60 days. If you guys are just really like a middleman, I'm a seller, I'm a, con- I'm a buyer seller, I'm the consumer. You have the, the dealers, mm-hmm. the business side. Why do you guys have to raise money? So the way this works is at scale. So most businesses like part of our, our pitch deck is comparing, you got Carvana, they take extremely high margins. Like they only go for the vehicles where people are just willing to hand it to them basically, right? That's their bread and butter. Yep. And they stick there and they actually deny the vehicles that are more marginal. CarMax does about three times the volume that Carvana does because they're willing to take the, a little less margin, but do higher volume, volume, right? And so they're actually a bigger company overall also. Less profitability per unit, bigger company, make more money. Great, that works, right? Um, Well, we're taking it the next step further. So our fixed costs, right, still exist. But when you spread it out over a lot of transactions, it lets us, us take the lowest possible amount compared to the benefit that we're offering consumers. So to give you an idea how big of a deal that is, the amount we're making consumers more than CarMax is literally that value add is, is more than the entire margin that CarMax makes. It could literally make nothing on a vehicle and we would still be giving the clients a better deal. Can you imagine if there was a lender where you could make zero and they would still crush you on every single transaction? <laughs> You'd be like, Dude, how is it possible? How is like, it possible? That's what how am doing. I supposed to compete with that? Can't. That's exactly what we're doing. And um, what's so super- as a consumer, I'm just going to call you, Nick, and go, "Hey, Nick, need a car?" And you, well, you you call CarSolve. Um, I'll call Car, and call, actually, yeah. you wouldn't even have to call us. So you you go onto the website online. Yeah, uh, you can get something called our instant auction estimate. Yep, uh, and it gives you an idea of what we could get you at auction. Our our number for you, and if you want you can go to a dealer and try to compare and, and you'll beat them you know but we also pop up via carwiser these instant cash offers mm-hmm. as carwiser is a company that aggregates these offers so we have a populator alongside our numbers so you can see oh they already pinged carmax for me they already pinged vroom for me you know vroom just went deep, uh, out of business but <laughs> uh they pinged all these other companies offering and you can see how much more it is okay and um and so you get that and then if you do want to move forward then you can fill out the application on the website and then an agent will be in touch once it's submitted. It takes just a couple minutes, you know, 15 minutes or less. And um, you set your reserve price, the minimum you're willing to take for the vehicle and you launch it to the marketplace and dealers start bidding. You watch it, the bidding live in the software. So it's really simple. fun. And and then you get your you get your high offer, but we don't reveal who the dealer is until you get an offer that you love. Then you pay 249 bucks and then we reveal the dealer to the seller and the seller to the dealer. Boom. You hold Super cards, simple. Man. Love it. That sounds pretty simple. So the next time I buy a car, I just go to car well, sale. Next time you sell a car. So only selling. Yeah. So the part of the beautiful part is the dealers are willing to pay more money than they possibly would otherwise for vehicle. Okay. Because we're pipelining them clients who want to buy a vehicle as well. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. So I can so sell the, a car. So the maxim, we'll maximize the amount you get on your sale. 
and connect you to a dealer who can got help you it, buy. Got it. And they will they'll pay you more than they possibly would have otherwise because they know that you might want to buy a car. And the benefit why I'm going to go buy my car from that dealer. That's most likely that's the whole goal. We, yeah, you don't you don't have to. No, but we can line that up so that oh yeah, I wanted a car over there. Oh yeah, let's just line you up with these guys. They, they're the highest paying one. Or hey, this guy's willing to pay a little more. They don't have the inventory. It's a one stop shop, dude. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. it easy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, brother, we're going to wrap up, and I uh, just really appreciate you being part of this today and unpacking life. I'm sure down the road, maybe six months down the road, we'll. I want to hear more about car solve and maybe how business is going. By then, you'll be married. Who knows where life will take you? Yeah, I'm. I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I'm uh, very excited for it. I love your commitment level, and so, well, hey, uh, thank you all who listen every week. I hope you really enjoyed Nick's story. Nick's a great guy. If you ever want to reach out to Nick, um, we'll put uh, in the show notes maybe a way to get in contact with him and learn more about uh, Jesus, uh, car solve, marriage, dating, whatever it is that you want to hear about. You'll get uh, you'll, you'll you'll definitely learn a lot. So thank you for all for listening each week. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Thank you all for taking the time each week to be encouraged, challenged, and loved. Remember what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My hope and prayer is that you believe the words of Jesus. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much.